Good morning and happy Monday to you. You are listening to Roadmap to Heaven here on Covenant Network. I'm Adam Wright. Happy to start the morning with you. It's always good to be with you on Monday mornings and every day of the week. We're going to pray today as we have been this month, our morning offering, and then our prayer to the wounded heart of Jesus. We pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O Jesus, through the Immaculate Heart of Mary, I offer you my prayers, works, joys, and sufferings of this day for all the intentions of your Sacred Heart in union with the holy sacrifice of the Mass throughout the world, in reparation for my sins, for the intentions of all my relatives and friends, and in particular for the intentions of the Holy Father. Amen. O my most loving and gentle Jesus, I desire with all the affections of my heart that all beings should praise thee, honor thee, and glorify thee eternally for that sacred wound wherewith thy divine side was rent. I deposit, enclose, conceal in that wound and in that opening in thy heart, my heart and all my feelings, thoughts, desires, intentions, and all the faculties of my soul. I entreat thee by the precious blood and water that flowed from thy most loving heart to take entire possession of me, that thou may guide me in all things. Consume me in the burning fire of thy holy love so that I may be so absorbed and transformed into thee that I may no longer be but one with thee. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope you had a great weekend. Uh, Trinity Sunday yesterday, a wonderful, wonderful celebration. You know, I, I really look at it that way because we had so many great conversations uh, with the kids over the weekend about the Holy Trinity and getting ready for this. And it's always it, it's always fun to examine the Trinity through the eyes of a child because at a certain point they just say, Dad, God is God, you know, and don't get too complicated. And I, I say that's wonderful. Um, one thing did stick out with me, though, that I wanted to share with you this morning, and that it was our second reading. And normally I wouldn't take the time to read the entire thing, um, but it's short, so I, I would like to read it for you. I know you heard it yesterday, but it's from St. Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 5. Brothers and sisters, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith to this grace in which we stand and we boast in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we even boast of our afflictions, knowing that affliction produces endurance and endurance proven character and proven character hope, and hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. I don't know why that resonated with me so much. I have, I have some inklings of it, but especially that second half. Not only that, but we even boast of our afflictions, knowing that affliction produces endurance, and endurance proven character, and proven character hope and hope does not disappoint. And I think about the last two years, it's really been about two years, three months that we've been together. Every time we gather in the morning at 7 a.m., we, we come together and we talk about all of these necessary things for us to go out there and strive to live a life of holiness that we might be saints one day. And we're very honest about the fact, you and I, that there's going to be suffering. How many times have you and I said 
that the the roadmap to heaven passes by the foot of the cross. And if we think we're going to escape our cross, we're, we're foolish. But we rejoice in that suffering. We rejoice in that affliction. If we hid from it, I wonder if we would be so ready to go out there and strive for heaven today. Would we? Or would we run away at the first sign of trouble? And, and I think about how much it's not really character building, it's endurance building and character building, as St. Paul says, uh, but all to build hope that we know from how we've seen grace operate in our times of affliction and in our times of suffering, that suffering doesn't have the final word and that God willing, we will be in heaven where our sufferings will be no more. But that means we have to get things right in this life to stay in that state of grace that God so freely offers us. And don't feel like you have to do it all yourself because you don't have to do it all by yourself and you can't do it all by yourself. God is extending his grace to each and every one of us so that we can do this. Um, He's given us what we need and he continues to give us what we need. Let's use those gifts as we go about our day and our week today. Today, we're going to talk with John Martinoni. It's Martinoni Monday, and we're going to address the question of Mary being sinless. We often say, you know, Mary was sinless, not just immaculately conceived, but through her entire life. Um, Then we're also going to hit some not difficult issues, but some challenging issues with a great husband and wife combo this morning, Kristalina Everett and her husband, Jason. And we're going to talk about the summertime conversations none of us really want to have with our children, but we need to have with our children about what is appropriate to wear, especially in light of the heat wave we're having this week. You know, there's going to be a lot of conversations about it's so hot, I just want to wear this. And no, you're not wearing that out of the house. Why is that important? How do we have those conversations? And how do we live in a world where not everyone's on board with those conversations? Um, Well, Kristalina and Jason are going to open a lot of that up for us today. As I did say, it is going to be a heat wave today. So before we get to all of that, let's go to Mike Roberts for a very important check of today's weather. Today is the memorial of St. Anthony of Padua, doctor of the church. Born into a wealthy Portuguese family in the late 12th century, Fernando Martins de Bulhos asked to be sent to the Abbey at Santa Cruz at the age of 15. There, he studied theology and Latin, and following his ordination was given the responsibility of providing the Abbey's hospitality. When some Franciscan friars built a small hermitage nearby, Fernando felt a longing to go with them. After joining the Franciscan order, which was dedicated to St. Anthony of Egypt, he changed his name to Anthony. Anthony traveled to Morocco to spread the Lord's word, but was sent back to Portugal when he became ill. On the trip back, however, his ship was blown off course, and he instead arrived in Sicily, and from there made his way to Tuscany, where he was assigned to a hermitage in San Paolo. During his stay there, Dominican friars came to visit the Franciscans and there was some confusion over who would present the homily at Mass. The head of the hermitage asked Anthony to speak on whatever the Holy Spirit told him to. Anthony delivered an eloquent homily that impressed both groups. Word of his great gifts reached St. Francis of Assisi who found a friend in Anthony and in 1244, St. Francis sent some of his friars to study with Anthony. At one point, a novice decided to leave the hermitage and stole a valuable book of Anthony's. Anthony prayed that the book would be found. The novice not only returned the book, but also returned to the order, which is how Anthony became the patron saint of lost articles, 
credited with countless of miracles that continue to this day. Anthony died at the young age of 35 and was canonized just a year later by Pope Gregory IX. His teaching of the Catholic faith was so simple that all could understand him, and so he was named a doctor of the church by Pope Pius XII in 1946. St. Anthony of Padua, please pray for us. I'm meteorologist Mike Roberts for Covenant Network. Have a blessed day. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. It's a good time to stop on this Monday and talk with John Martinoni, a founder and president of the Bible Christian Society, about some of those common errors that are out there that we need to understand. And, you know, as Catholics, especially in this month of May, we give special honor to the Blessed Mother and the Rosary. And one of the things I love about the Blessed Mother is the story of her salvation, how she was saved from sin in a very unique way compared to the rest of us. And some people would take objection to that to say, well, wait a minute, what do you mean the Blessed Mother is without sin? Mary couldn't be without sin. You just go to the Book of Romans. And Well, John, what are they talking about? Well, as you were saying, you know, we as Catholics believe Mary was not just conceived without sin, the Immaculate Conception, but that she was sinless her entire life. And our non-Catholic Christian brothers and sisters will say, no, that's not possible, and Scripture says it's not possible. And when you say, well, where in Scripture does it say that? They'll go to Romans 3, verses 23 and 24. Well, let me, let me back up. Verse 22, let's start there. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, they say, it says, all have sinned, and they use that word all as an absolute, so absolutely everyone who's ever lived has sinned. And so, first thing I do, I say, well, let me ask you this. I said, so everybody has sinned, right? Absolutely. What about Jesus? Oh, well, he's an exception. <laughs> oh, okay. So all's not an absolute, there's an exception. Well, but just Jesus. Well, what about babies? Have they sinned? Well, no, babies haven't sinned, but, but you know, everyone who's, who is uh, of the age of reason. Oh, so there's other exceptions. And I said, well, what about um, John the Baptist's parents? They said, what, what are you talking about? I said, well, you know, Elizabeth and Zechariah said in, in Luke 1, it says, they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. I said, now, you know, that sounds like they were sinless from the Bible. Well, you know, that, what that really means. And they've got a problem. So all isn't necessarily an absolute. That's the first thing. Second thing I do, and this really messes with their heads um, and, and really is, is an occasion for planting a really good seed, I'll ask someone, I'll say, who's, who's throwing Romans uh, 3.23 at me, I'll say, are you seeking for God? Every time they say, yes, I'm seeking for God. I say, well, no, you're not. Yes, yes, I am. I am seeking for God. Continue. I pray. I read scripture. I'm seeking for God. I say, well, the Bible says you're not. What do you mean? Well, you know, that Romans 3 chapter where all is an absolute, well, in Romans 3.11, it says, no one understands, no one seeks for God. 
I said, so either you're lying to me that you're seeking for God or the Scripture's wrong. Which is it? Well, uh, what, uh, and so I, what I do is I, I'm making the point, these words are not absolutes. They don't mean absolutely everybody. What Paul is talking about in Romans 3 is groups of people, the Jews and the Greeks, or you could say the Jews and the Gentiles. And he's saying to the Jews, hey, you guys have sinned just like the Gentiles have. So all have sinned as a group. And we know this for sure, because in Romans five eighteen and 19, it says this, Then as one man's trespass led to condemnation for all men, talking about Adam's trespass, so one man's act of righteousness, Jesus, leads to acquittal and life for all men. And then Paul basically repeats what he just said. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So in verse 18, it's all and all. In verse 19, it's many and many. So Paul doesn't even use all as an absolute. So when someone throws Romans 3.23 at you to say, all have sinned, so that includes Mary, two things. Number one, Start showing them where the exceptions are. And number two, ask them if they are seeking for God and take them to Romans 3.11 and, and show them you can't interpret 3.23 in an absolute way and not interpret 3.11 in an absolute way. But if you do that, then, then you're, you've totally messed up script, your, your interpretation of Scripture because many places in Scripture it talks about people seeking for God. So... Romans 3.23 does not in any way, shape, or form prove that Mary sinned. Well, there you have it, friends. A good rebuttal for an argument with anyone who would say, no, Scripture says very plainly that Mary must have sinned because of Romans 3.22 and 3.23. John Martinoni, I want to thank you for shedding light on how that would be a false statement and that we can still go on believing what the Church teaches, that the Blessed Mother was not only conceived without the stain of original sin, but also led a life that was sinless all the way to her death and assumption. Friends, we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. It's always a good day on Roadmap to Heaven when we get to talk to Kristalina Evert. And I got a little newsflash for everybody. As I may have said at the beginning of the show, we're not only going to be talking to Kristalina Evert today, but later in the show we're going to be speaking with her husband, Jason. So it's like the Evert one-two combo here today, and it's fantastic. <laughs> Kristalina, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you, Adam. What you punch here? Grim Reapers of love, huh? <laughs> that's, that's, if that's how you want to put it, I think that's fantastic. So, Chris, know, a teen boy actually came up to me after a talk and said that to Jason and I. I never forgot it. I thought it was hilarious, but he said, but it's a good thing. Don't worry. It's a good thing. <laughs> All right. Well, Crystalina, here's, here's a real-world scenario, because I always love real-world scenarios. It's, a, it's about a week and a half, two weeks ago. My wife was working the weekend shift at the hospital, so I was on my own taking all the kids to Mass. And I, I always say oh. to the kids, you know, put on something appropriate for church. And they kind of grasp that concept that we need to be dressier in what we wear for church. It shouldn't be a normal, you know, it's not gym shorts and a T-shirt day. And one of my daughters was just so distraught because she couldn't find any dresses in her size that fit her. So she wanted to borrow one from her older sister, but because it was from her older sister, there were issues with how it fit, 
and what it was potentially showing. And I said, well, if you're going to wear that, we need to make some modifications to the ensemble here. And she said, why? Every time I talk with you, Kristalina, I feel like I say this. This is a conversation I know as a parent that I have to have. But, you know, I'm not always ready for it. And especially now that we are in the summer months and that my daughters are growing older and that my son's growing older, it's that time of year to have that conversation about, well, it really does matter what you wear and you can't wear that today. So where do we start with this? First off, I think especially with girls, and I have a teenage daughter now, right? And I have a teenage son, and they're just a year apart from each other. So I'm getting it from, I have to start looking at like the teenage boy perspective and also the teenage girl perspective. And you really do have to handle them both so differently because they are so different. And the way that they see things, do things, and even just with clothes in general, it's so different with that modesty line, right? And I remember, I think my grandma or someone I heard this from, which is hilarious. Let's go back to like my grandma, right? In her days where they would say, put your hands in the air and touch your toes. If anything shows, then go change your clothes. Have you heard that? (laughs) No, but I'm going to write that one down. (laughs) Right. But that's like, let's remember, let's remember the rhyme here. Right. And I'm going to put that actually in my laundry room where I give them their clothes. So they see that. But at the same time, all joking aside, Deep down, if a young woman doesn't know her own dignity, even at a very young age, she still will try to seek and find it in the attention of the world. Even if it's going to mass, putting on a dress and saying, do I look pretty? Am I getting attention? Are people looking at me? Are they looking at me in a desirable way? Are they looking down on me? Does it seem like they don't like me? Women look to the perception of others of how they react to them, of how they are seen, and then they perceive that to a certain extent as their worth, especially teenage girls, right? And teenage boys aren't as much as wanting to impress teenage girls. They're more about wanting to impress teenage boys, right, Adam? So it's not as much about the girls. But when it comes to the girls, their dignity and how they see themselves is going to do everything for them. It's almost going to kind of guide them to a certain extent, And deep down, a lot of these young women that we're talking to and the parents we're talking to obviously are forming their young women right now. But they also need to form them to listen to their conscience as well. Because as wild as I was, as bad as I was, and just into the partying, sleeping around, drinking drugs, deep down, when I got ready for a party or I put clothes on, I knew exactly what I was doing. And a girl always knows exactly what she's doing. And if you're looking in the mirror and you're saying, oh, is this too tight? Is this too short? Well, yes, you've already answered that question. So go change. And these poor girls that I saw going to prom when I took my kids out, when I, we even changed restaurants because I'm like, Jason, there's a prom. This is out of control. The, the dresses are out of control. <laughs> you know, it's not like beautiful dresses anymore. These poor girls are constantly pulling their skirts down as they walk down the street or like lifting their dresses up because deep down they know it's not right. And they're uncomfortable. And we want our daughters to be comfortable in their own skin and to really just recognize their dignity. Like Mary wants to wear something, our teenage daughter. And, and she's like, mom and Jason will like, Mary, I love you. You have dignity. You have worth, honey, and you're beautiful even without that. So look at your daughter in the eyes and remind her, I'm like this because I see your dignity. I see your value. I see your beauty and your worth. 
and your clothes should resemble that, honey. So let's see what we can do to fix that. Or maybe mom can help you to go fix that. Does that make sense, Adam? That does. You know, it reminds me of a time when, before I had the, the privilege of working for the church and working in radio, I worked at the mall. I sold chocolates out of a candy store in the mall. But every week we had this one customer, well, really two customers that would come in, a man and a wife, and they were Muslim, and she wore the pretty much full garb. And all you could wow. see were her hands and her face. And all I could tell you, Kristalina, and I remember this to this day, is she had the most beautiful eyes and the most beautiful smile I have ever seen. There was great joy in taking note of that, that I didn't need to see things that weren't meant for me to see, to say, oh, here's a beautiful woman standing in the candy store here. This was actually someone whose beauty and her her dignity was shown through her face. And it was a great joy. I remember that. Now, my kids are a little less advanced on the timeline than yours are. They're, they're not even quite to preteen yet. And so sometimes they get some hand-me-downs from their cousin and they put them on and I say, oh, yeah, that's, that's not going to fly today. They don't understand the why behind that. And I want to be really careful how I say this, friends, because sure. I, I don't ever want to make this sound like this is 100% a woman's responsibility or 100% a man's responsibility. We're partners in this world. And Jason and I are going to be talking about the other side of this equation in a little, little bit on the show. But if he and I are talking about custody of the eyes, so especially for men that we have to have custody of our eyes and not look in an inappropriate way in a disrespectful way that disrespects the dignity of women, how do I start to explain to my daughters that they also have a responsibility for modesty in their lives. You know, I'm 100% on board with how to explain to them that they have worth and value in the eyes of God and they should treat themselves in that way. But I don't even know where to begin with that other conversation that, you know, you also have a duty to be modest just as I do. Yes. And the thing is, modesty, they think it is going to be something that is Like, if I have to be modest and I have to be some Amish person walking down the street, and that's the first thing that comes to young girls' minds, right? Like, no life, no color, no nothing, this blah. And modesty isn't just a dress code. Honestly, Adam, it's a heart posture, right, to God. And modesty isn't about that chef list. It's much deeper than that. It's about glorifying God with our bodies and by pursuing purity and holiness and humility from the inside out. And that comes from the foundation that we're giving girls. So for those of you, and like Adam, that have young girls, start reading those books. Start reading those young girl Bible stories where young girls are heroes, and then they have an explanation at the end. I have that for my daughter. And I, I have been reading books since they were very young. And then even when we go to the mall or we see pictures or billboards, I don't use that as like, oh, let's distract if I'm just with my girls. I talk to them about that girl and what she's wearing. And like, do you think that's appropriate? Would you wear that? Why should we not wear that? And there's certain instances you do that and certain instances that you truly don't. But it really comes down to all of these things because at the end of the day, it's almost a set of rules they feel like they're getting. But it comes down to your relationship with your daughter and how much you're talking to her, how much you're willing to talk to her about these things. And letting her know at an early age the things you want them to wear and things you don't want them to wear. And if I get a bag of clothes from another family member, I always go through them and throw the things away I don't want or give them to goodwill. Then I give them to them, you know. So there's never a problem. But they always should know where you are at as parents. And I think sometimes we think they know where we're at, but they really don't. And I think we as parents think we're communicating clearly to our children, 
but we're really not. And we're just expecting them to understand sometimes why we're setting a set of rules because we understand, but they aren't fully understanding. So I think communication one is key. Fostering that relationship with Jesus is another one. That's huge because the more you develop their conscience at a young age, they will already automatically know and they will want to be modest. They will know right from wrong at that young age. And then also you have to have a filter what you allow in your home and what you don't. Because when they do go into the world, they'll be so much more sensitive to those things instead of wanting to join in with those things. So really it comes down to how much effort, time, and energy, which is a lot, Adam, but there are fruits at the other end of that, right? Because it's not always easy putting that much time into it. But if you do, it does pay off in the end, as we know, as adults with hard work with anything that we do. Well, we're going to stop here and take a break very quickly. We're going to continue our conversation with Kristalina Everett after this. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and this morning we're talking with Kristalina Everett about how to have those conversations with our daughters in particular, but really with our kids about modesty. You know, this isn't my idea, but it's one of those lessons that I'm very grateful to have learned very early on in our journey of parenting, that as a father, the impact that I have on my daughters really sets the bar more than anything else. And from a very young age to constantly tell them, you are beautiful. So now even when my four-year-old comes in the room with her long sleeve princess nightgown and says, am I beautiful? And of course, you are beautiful. And when she comes in with her, uh, you know, her athletic shorts that are down to her knees and her long sleeve shirt that is completely mismatched and one shoe (laughs) and one sandal, am I beautiful? Yes, you are beautiful. And there's a great power in that. So men listening, fathers listening, do not underestimate the power of your words in telling your daughters that they are beautiful. Because if you say that they're beautiful, they're not necessarily going to need to go out into the world and seek the attention of others. And uh, you don't have to take my word for it, because, Kristalina, there's some truth to that. There is some major truth to that. And I was very tested to go get my daughter's first prom dress, Adam. And whoa, that was some business. I don't think I expected what I walked into in the mall <laughs> when it came to prom dresses and the level of modesty that was the lack thereof, right? But we found a beautiful, gorgeous dress. But as a mom, I was challenged because I knew, okay, well, there are certain requirements that it allowed to go to her school with prom that we have to meet with certain dresses. And so I had to come home and I had to do altercations. And for those of you that don't sew, and I have no time to sew. I know how to sew, but I have no time for it. Fabric glue is your best friend, okay? (laughs) And that's okay if you cheat. But it's your best friend, and you can get it at Michael's. And all the beautiful alterations I made for my daughter on her prom dress, I used fabric glue, and it came out beautiful. And I didn't really have to do much, just little things here and there, and there's a way to do it. Now, does it take more time and energy? Yes, but at the end of the day, you can show them that they can be confident and beautiful and still dress to a certain extent with the fashions of the world, but not fully dive into them to do yourself dirty. I use that a lot with my son. Not as much my daughter, but if they're giving me attitude or I know they're not doing something right or watching that, I'm like, why are you doing yourself dirty like that? Why would you want to do that? You know, it's not right. And I knew that since a young age, and maybe it's harsh, but man, it is stuck with them because if they've gone somewhere, they come over and they're like, well, I didn't do myself dirty, mom. You'd be pretty proud of me. I didn't engage what my friends were doing, you know? 
so it's a thing here. But I've learned that the more honest and open and blunt you can be with the kids, the better, because that's what they're getting from the world. It's pure bluntness. Nothing is hidden. The world is not shy. People, what they show is not shy. How they live is not shy. But you have got to give them that solid foundation because basically you're weaponizing your children against the world when you do give that to them. And the beautiful thing with modesty is not, oh, I need to cover up. I shouldn't dress this way because I don't want to show. That's the wrong attitude. Dressing modesty doesn't mean that you lack confidence. It means that you are so confident that you don't need to reveal your body to the world because you know who you are. And that's the approach I've taken with my daughter. And I saw it come out in my daughter when we were shopping for prom dress. She's like, I'm not going to wear that, Mom. She goes, why would I do that to myself? Why would I lower my dignity to put on that dress? You know, and I was so proud of her. But you've got to give them that spunky, sassy attitude and give them permission to want to protect their dignity and that, that they are raising the bar. They're raising the standard. And if you kind of go at it with them and that it takes a strong woman of God to go against the grain right now and not to lower yourself to get to get looks and attention from men, that's not the kind of man you want attention from. And that's the next point of what, what is it you're looking for? What kind of guy do you want? And is that the kind of guy you want to raise your family with and you want to strive for? And that's another thing mothers really need to talk to their daughters about, especially in teen teen girls, of really start thinking about what kind of man is it you think God wants you with one day. And it's good and it's healthy they think of those things because when these sweet-smelling, smooth-talking guys that are just going to use them come their way, they kind of have like a a wall of, well, you're not what I want at all, so why would I? And to foster those healthy relationships. They don't date, but my kids have very good, healthy relationships with the opposite sex, which parents really need to foster. Well, friends, we could go on talking about this for hours, but we do need to stop and take a quick break here and get reset so we can come back and talk with Jason about the flip side of this, what to do in a world where not everybody plays by these rules, and especially for men and for boys, it can be a very challenging and daunting task to be in the world but not of the world, and how do we even begin to navigate that? But, Kristalina, I think I'll leave you with this. You know, if there's one encouragement I've gotten from you in every conversation we've had on topics similar to this, it is so incredibly worth the effort. And I remember not long ago, my wife and I were scrolling through social media and saw a social media contact's daughter who's about the same age as one of our daughters in a dance competition wearing a costume that was, for lack of a better term, so hyper-sexualized. I was aghast. And I said to my wife, if our daughters ever put something like that on, so help me, there will be wrath from on high. And, you know, the point... I make with that is to say, I don't want my daughters to grow up being normalized to that. I want them to grow up where modesty is the norm and it comes naturally and comfortably to them. So hard conversations on my end, but thanks to your encouragement as a dad, I think I'm ready for them. Yes. And quality time, honestly, is a weapon right now against the world and what they're trying to teach in your relationships are key. All right. Well, we're going to take a break. Kristalina, I want to thank you for being with us. I look forward to the next time we're back. We're going to get into some deeper issues related to this, including self-worth and comparison to others and how that affects our kids' mental health. And, you know, really 
summertime, we, we got to get deeper into this topic, is such a great time for us to have an impact on our kids' lives because we get so much time with them at home compared to the school year for those of us that don't homeschool. So I look forward to our next conversation. Friends, you're listening to Roadmap to Heaven. We're going to take a very quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking with Jason Everett about custody of the eyes. We are back. You're listening to Roadmap to Heaven, and it is that time of year for the annual summertime discussions that every parent faces. And today we're going to be talking about custody of the eyes with Jason Everett. Jason, it's so good to have you with us today. No, thanks for having me on. I want to tell you a little story here. A while back, my son was just overwhelmed. Uh, I think it was part of life with four sisters. It was just too crazy at our house. And my parents said, why don't you have him come spend the night with us? He can get a night away from his sisters, play with his Legos, read some books and all of that. And the next day, my dad says to me, you know, he was sitting on the couch next to me reading a book. And I was watching this documentary about Liza Minnelli. And most of it, he's got his head down in his book. Every now and then he would peek up. And there was this one point she was wearing an outfit and he peeked up and I could tell he glanced a little bit longer than he had any of the other times, and I said, all right, we're at that point now where uh, he's going to take note of such things. And, Jason, it's a conversation that, especially in summer with the way dress changes in our culture, both for men and for women, we are going to have to train our children to have custody of their eyes, and we're going to have to practice this ourselves to avoid getting into trouble. So let's start out with this. Can you give us a, what's the definition you use when you talk about having custody of the eyes? Well, to have custody means to have control over. So either when it comes to chastity, either our passions will control us or we will control our passions. You know, one of them is going to be in the driver's seat. And obviously it's always going to be a tug of war to some extent, but, you know, custody of the eyes is essentially when we're trying to not only avoid the occasion of sin, but then when we see temptation, which is inevitable, you know, what do we do at that point? Like, do we really have a game plan? Do we really have a strategy? And I think a lot of people struggle in this area because they don't have one. It's just kind of like, well, you know, it's here. What do I do? And then, you know, back and forth and back and forth. So um, I think a lot of people struggle with it precisely for that reason, that they have no strategy. And then they also think that sexual desire or attraction is lust. And so whenever they experience any temptation, they lust it. And, and that makes a lot of people just give up. It's like, wow, I guess if I become pure, I'm not going to have any temptations anymore. But when you don't have any temptations anymore, it doesn't really mean you're pure. It probably means you're dead. So. Right. You know, I think back to when I was in high school, one of my good friends was involved with a program with horses. And so I asked one day, like, what are those patches they put over the horse's eyes? I mean, I can't imagine a horse can get around well with patches over the eyes. And my friend said, those are called blinders. And they actually limit the horse's field of vision specifically so the horse stays focused on where it should be focused, that's the road, and not just, oh, look over there, there's some plants, there's some oats, I might go over there, forget the road. I don't think it's practical for you and I to walk around with blinders on our eyes, at least not physical ones. So what are some of the tips that you share when you're doing your work with Chastity Project to encourage, let's say young men, let's start there, young men, you're not going to wear physical blinders, but maybe keep these things in mind as you go out there this summer. Yeah, one is uh, St. John Chrysostom said that, he said, imagine the five senses, uh, you know, the sight, taste, touch, hearing, all that, are like five entry points to a majestic castle. And if you don't have guards standing at those entry points, then any enemy can infiltrate the fortress and take possession of it. And so we need to have kind of a guardian 
to our senses. You know, what am I listening to? What am I letting into my ears? Do I have a guardian over my eyes or does it just have free reign? And so what I recommend besides keeping that in mind is having a little strategy. Like let's say you're at the gym, you're at the beach or whatever, and you see somebody who you may be tempted to lust after. I just encourage guys to just pause, uh, make a little sign of the cross on your forehead. It doesn't have to be, you know, big ostentatious thing. Just a little sign of the cross on the forehead and think of the four movements of the cross. The first part of the cross is up. And you could think of when you see her, gratitude. Thank you, God, for making her beautiful. So the first reaction isn't shame and all that. It's thank you, God, for making her so beautiful. And then don't stay up there. Then come down like the cross does to a little little prayer of contrition. But God, I'm sorry for the times I've lusted after your daughters. Please give me a clean heart. And then the cross comes up, and then it kind of goes off to the side. And then you could maybe look at her hand. Does she have a wedding ring? Pray for her and her husband. No wedding ring? Pray for her future vocation. And by doing this, you're responding to the beauty of the body with love, and you're kind of transforming temptation into an act of intercession. You're responding in love instead of just no sex is bad, sex is dirty. And then the last part of the cross goes away uh, to the other shoulder. You could think of that as like, well, now where, why do I crave such beauty? You know, why does no matter how many beautiful women I see, there's still this restless, this ache in me for more? It's because she is just a fragment of the infinite beauty that you're created for. She's a finite reflection of infinite beauty of her creation, which is God. And so maybe your last act of the heart could be of adoration. God, thank you for beauty. I'm sorry for the times I've lusted after. I pray for her, but God, you're the beauty I was created for. I gave that tip to a, in one of my books, and a college boy said to me, and he said, man, when I read that, that was a game changer. He said, I did that so much last summer. He said, I started developing acne in the shape of the cross on his forehead. And I said, that's awesome. I said, but maybe you want to move over to the side of your head instead. So a little strategy like that will help you more than simply just bouncing the eyes. Because, you know, people, if you're tempted, bounce the eyes, bounce the eyes. Well, I mean, there's, there's help in that. But in today's culture, you'll get whiplash after about three minutes of doing that. There's got to be a more substantial answer to the body than no. The real answer is yes, choosing to love. I mean, that sounds like a game changer for all of us that we all can employ this summer. And speaking of all of us, you know, when we have these conversations, and this, you and I are talking as part of a larger conversation on modesty and summer, and I laugh because my four-year-old daughter's picked up on this in our house, and school uniform days have been so easy this past year because she knows she has to wear the uniform. The other days, she walks into our room in the morning, and she might be holding up this big, frumpy, long-sleeved dress and say, is this appropriate? And I say, yes, yes, that is appropriate. Um... I would be foolish to think that it's just going to be me and my son in our family that might struggle with this, that this is something that women struggle with, too, and that girls struggle with seeing guys and saying, oh, that is one good-looking guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think girls get frustrated when the whole conversation of modesty is kind of a one-way street. It's like, okay, modesty is something you have to practice, because if you don't, it's your fault that a guy sinned. It's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Girls also have temptations. You know, do they have strategies for them? What works for them? But then also, when was the last homily you even heard on male modesty? And the reason you don't hear a lot on that is because we made the big mistake of reducing modesty to clothing. And if that's all that modesty is, a lot of guys will think, well, okay, well, I have pants on. I mean, we're good. You know, we're modest. You know, what else is there? But it's like, well, hey, what about the modesty of your intentions as a guy? What about the modesty of your speech? What about the modesty of the way you dance with a girl? I mean, it goes a lot beyond simply outfits. And I think when girls hear that, it's like, okay, yeah, guys are in this too. That makes them you know, feel, okay, this is a little more acceptable. But then also, we've got to really affirm with the girls that the reason why a lot of girls just, I don't know, just get allergic to the idea of modesty 
it's because for thousands of years, the whole problem of lust has been blamed on the woman. I mean, it was your outfit, you're the occasion of sin, you know, you're the temptress. But it's like, what's the cause of robbery? Is jewelry the cause of robbery? Or is the presence of greed in the heart of the robber the, the cause of robbery? And so the real cause of lust isn't the goodness of the human body, it's the brokenness of the human heart that doesn't even know how to look rightly at the human body. And when girls hear this, it's not to get them off the hook of, well, then good, just dress wherever the heck you want. It's like, okay, well, we're both in this together, and if we really want to create a pathway towards authentic love, then we should promote fashions that invite men to consider that the best thing about a woman is not her body. You know, this takes me back, this whole conversation is taking me back about 15, 16 years ago when my wife and I were working in youth ministry together. We were both volunteering, and it was after a Steubenville Youth Conference. The youth group we were part of always had this habit of driving back and staying halfway between the conference and our home overnight and just doing one big wrap-up session with the teens. And one year, this beautiful conversation emerged between the girls and the the guys. And the girls just flat out said, you know, we feel like lately you've been looking at us in this way, and it really upsets us, and it makes us uncomfortable because we're more than just our looks. And the guys said, you know, we feel like lately we've been struggling with this and the way you've been dressing. And it, it, we, we started to get really afraid, Jason, that it, this was going to go down a really uh, troublesome path of the blame game, the blame game, the blame game. But what came out of it was this covenant that they – and those were their words that the girls said, you know what, we are going to make sure – that we dressed modestly, and if we don't, we give you permission to to say, "Hey, this isn't this isn't helping today." A little bit of accountability, and the guys made that commitment to say, "We're going to practice custody of the eyes," and they had accountability partners among the guys, but also told the girls, "If if you feel like we're staring and that this is crossing the line to inappropriate." You say something, call me out on it, and it it just kind of went from there. That from every moment on in the the following years we'd go to uh, a float trip or something and it wasn't swimsuits on the float trip everybody's wearing long sleeve shirts and lightweight pants so that we're we're being modest and everyone else on the river is looking at us like who are those crazy amish people floating down the river today i wonder if you could uh as we wrap up if you could share a little bit about the power of that that when we stop blaming one another well it's your fault i looked at you or it's your fault that you looked at me and we work together the way God's called us to be in relationship, um, where we can go from that. Yeah, yeah, I think that, that story highlights, I think, a, a thought that John Paul II had on freedom, and his basic idea of freedom is that your freedom is best measured by your capacity to love. Anything that impairs your ability to love, whether it's your, your lust, your vanity, whatever, it's to that extent that you're not free. And so when you hear about these young people, wanting to have responsibility for each other, not only for themselves, but like, okay, instead of this, well, am I my brother's keeper kind of attitude, it's more like, okay, I want to feel responsible for my sisters in Christ. Instead of looking at them as a collection of body parts, I need to keep myself in check, and I need to realize this is my sister in humanity, and she deserves respect, not only the way I treat her, she deserves respect in the way I think about her, the way I look upon her, because a woman can tell from a hundred yards away if a guy's looking at her as some collection of body parts. You know, whereas John Paul II says, if we grow in this purity of heart, he said that you can actually give to women, give to your wife all of the peace of the interior days. And what he meant by that is just this deep abiding peace in the heart of the woman that she knows when a man is looking at her, when her partner or husband's looking at her, he's looking at her with reverence. 
And then she enjoys this deep peace of being looked at as a respected and beloved companion, where Russ lust robs the couple of that form of deep intimacy, that he's not looking at her as something to be used for his gratification, but as his sister in humanity. And so it actually builds authentic intimacy. It's not the absence of desire, but the presence of a desire to love and honor somebody. And I think this is what women want. And I think it's also what guys want to even know how to look at a woman rightly. So I think it's a beautiful story that they actually care enough about each other to want to build up this little civilization of real love. Yeah, all of the adults at that time, we were floored by it, and it made us take a look inside as well. What are we doing to take responsibility for one another? It really was a beautiful moment. Well, Jason, I want to thank you for spending some time with us on Roadmap to Heaven today as part of this larger conversation we've been having on modesty, for summer. Um, I know you've got the Chastity Project online. Where can our listeners go to find out more about what you are involved in? Yeah, if you just go to chastity.com, that's the website. And so we've got a podcast called Lust is Boring. We've got hundreds and hundreds of videos on YouTube, questions and answers, books, resources uh, for parents, engaged couples, teenagers, um, just to to learn and how to live this virtue of chastity on a day-to-day basis. So just go to chastity.com and all the content's right there. Well, you couldn't make that any easier for us, chastity.com. Jason Everett, thank you so much for being with us today. Friends, we're going to take a break here on Roadmap to Heaven. Stay tuned. It's a new week, and we stop on this Monday for our daily dose of encouragement. Here with us is Patty Schneier. Patty, what are we going to talk about this week? Well, we're going to talk about fatherhood. And I know you might be saying, yes, but you're a woman. You're not a father. (laughs) And that is true. But I want to talk about fatherhood building up to Father's Day to thank, encourage all the men out there. And we women, we need to love our husbands and fathers and be grateful for what they do and give us every day of their lives. So we're going to talk about fatherhood. Fatherhood as we build up to Father's Day this weekend. I'm going to be sharing some different thoughts that I've learned from the Theology of the Body, from other great Catholic speakers. Again, nothing of this is truly from my own. But the first today, I want to just start by saying that every man is called to be a husband and a father. Again, I learned this from the Theology of the Body. It's stamped into our bodies as women to be wives and mothers. For men, it's stamped into your bodies to be a husband and a father, regardless of your state in life, regardless of your vocation. Every vocation, men, you're called to be a husband and a father, whether that is spiritual or biological. Your very body is a window to God, as who he is as father, creator, and how he loves us through self-sacrifice. So we look to you, men, to reveal God to us, and you will find the very meaning and fulfillment of your life when you become that self-gift, when you're willing to lay down your life for your bride. Again, whether this is a spiritual bride or a physical bride, and your children, whether they are spiritual or biological, you will bear great fruit by being that self-gift, laying down your life for others. So today I just want to set that general terminology of what fatherhood is, and um, I want to thank all fathers. I want to thank you for your sacrifices, and I want I think the real encouragement I want to give everybody is to thank their fathers, whether living or deceased, thank God for the gift of their fathers, And let's thank our priests because they are spiritual fathers. This Father's Day on Sunday when you're at Mass, also thank your pastor and your associate pastor and say, thank you, Father, for being our spiritual father on this Father's Day. 
Well, Patty, on behalf of all fathers, I'd like to say you're welcome, but I also want to say, men, listen up, because this is going to be important for us this week. Patty, thanks for this daily dose of encouragement. Well, a lot to digest from today's show here on Roadmap to Heaven. Um, But, you know, I I think the encouragement for all of us is going back to what we said at the beginning of the show, that while there are afflictions we have to endure in this life, and sometimes it means uh, asking for the grace to overcome temptation, asking for the grace to have those difficult conversations as parents, asking for the grace to set a good example and be a good example for our children, which I know is possible because I have seen so many other great parents who have come before Beth and I do this, and they have been an inspiration for us. And we often find ourselves looking at those children and those parents and saying that is what we aspire to. Now, I want to close out with an often repeated piece of advice I've used. If you want to be a good musician, who do you play music with? Great musicians. If you want to be a good electrician, who do you work with? Great electricians. If you want to be good at sewing, who do you go to sewing club with? Great sewers. So if you want to be a good parent and have a holy family, who should you spend your time with? Great parents and holy families. It's the easiest thing we can do to uh, help build ourselves up aside from asking God for the grace we need to do it. So let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, it's been great to be with you this morning. Don't forget to uh, check us out on your favorite podcast app after the show. We'll have this up a few hours from now, and you can share these conversations we just had with your friends. Find us on your favorite podcast app. Just search Covenant Network Roadmap to Heaven. Until next time, I'm Adam Wright. Pray your rosary today.